God of grace and mercy. May the words I share this day come from my heart. May they praise your name. And may all of us gathered together this day be both comforted and prompted by the still speaking God in our lives. Amen. Again, it's wonderful to be here at First Congregational. I was thrilled when John asked me if I would lead in his stead when he was on vacation. You know, I actually kind of connected or met with John just as he was talking with the church about accepting a call here. We had a mutual friend, uh, Dawson Taylor, uh, and he connected John and I, and so we talked on the phone, and I said, you know, John, that's a pretty good gig at First Congregational. And so I met him in person not long after he got here. And I have to tell you, I had a bit of a mother moment when I first met John. I wanted to comb his hair. I wanted to tuck in his shirt and and maybe iron it. But then I got to know him. And I got to know his intellect and his passion and his commitment to justice and to equality. I got to know his love, his unending love for the United Church of Christ. And I got to know his heart for the people of God. And I came to realize that he just couldn't be bothered with all of those things because he had more important things to take care of. And when John came to, first came to Houston, we had just suffered the defeat of the Equal uh, Rights Ordinance uh, in the city. And um, I was one of the, the pastors who was out in the front. I testified uh, multiple times and, and went to rallies and made phone calls. And we were pretty devastated. We were pretty tired. And we struggled on what we should do next. And there's a group that I'm sure you've heard of, the Houston uh, Pastors Council, and they have a different name. And, and they had a lot of money. And, a, and we thought, how do we create a progressive voice to counter that? And we tried a couple times, and it just hadn't happened. We kind of lost focus and lost energy. And, and so it took John, somebody brand new, to get us off the dime. And so he gathered, there was um, five or six of us. There was Ernie Turney from uh, Bering Memorial United Methodist and Stephanie Snyder from Bering. There was Troy Tresh from Metropolitan Community Church. Uh, There was Lisa Hunt from St. Stephen's Episcopal and myself and John. And so we met for a number of months, you know, and came up with a name and and a website and a logo and launched it and we're just in that fledgling part but we're starting to make some traction but you need to know that it took John to do that and isn't that exactly what you seek in a minister of the United Church of Christ so take care of him because he's a keeper And John told me that I could preach on anything I wanted, as a gracious senior minister would do. But he told me that that you've been talking about Genesis. Well, I got really excited when I heard that because I love to talk 
about Genesis. Now, I'm going to try and preach from here. Uh, I tend to move around a lot, but I usually have a lectern somewhere else because I really have to have my notes. Because the other thing is, I don't know if this happens to you, but now that I'm a woman of a certain age, things go in here and they immediately fall out here. Uh, and so I can't, can't do what I used to be able to do. So I'm going to try and do it from here. But I need to tell you that what I love about Genesis is that I feel like I know these people. I, I can relate to these people. I am these people. And what do I mean by that? <laughs> I'm broken. I'm wounded. I'm imperfect. I make really bad decisions. I hurt people I love. I do all the things that these amazing people in the book of Genesis and Exodus do. And interestingly enough, it was these two books that taught me what I've come to believe about the idea of biblical authority. You know, Reverend Michael Piazza, who was senior minister at Cathedral of Hope in Dallas for 25 years, he used to say, and he probably still does, says all the time, something didn't have to happen to be true. And that's what got me about Genesis. Because, you know, there's a time you can just write this off and say, this so didn't happen. I'm, I'm not believing any of these stories in Genesis. These, uh, th- these could not have happened, and therefore, close the book. I'm not going to pay attention to them. But you know that the stories in Genesis are true. I don't know if they happened, but they're true. Because what is it, 3,000 years later, 4,000 years later? We are still wrestling with the story of Jacob and the story of Joseph and Moses and Abraham. We're still uncovering. We're still finding ourselves in their lives and finding God there with them. That's an amazing amount of truth and an amazing amount of authority. Because what is it we say in the United Church of Christ? We don't take the Bible literally, but we take it seriously. And for me, my relationship with the Bible is just not an intellectual encounter, although I love that. It's a spiritual encounter as well. Because my relationship with the sacred text has changed me. It has helped transform me along with all the experiences of my life. So when I was reading the story of Joseph... This time, preparing to preach, what I found there in his going to his brothers was a story of forgiveness and reconciliation. Or maybe that's just how I see the story. Because, you know, they say that every reading is an interpretation. So because of where I was at when I was preparing... For today, what I saw was forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, I recently got back 
from having attended my 50th high school reunion. I mean, it was so fun. I mean, I just don't even know if I can tell you how amazing it was. And thank goodness they had name badges with pictures of us from when we were seniors. Because, now I want to say that most of us we would have recognized. We were just old. We were the same people, just old. Um, But some of us we didn't. And one of the things we did that was kind of fun is in my senior year, we protested against war toys at Christmas. Because we were 17 and we were, we were right. And, and so there was a picture in the local newspaper of the five of us. You know, we've got these posters. And of course, with the look of severity that only a 17-year-old can get. And, and so we were all there at the reunion. But we all have white hair now. And so we recreated the posters, and we took the picture. And, um, and so, because the reality is that power is just as true today as it was at 17. But there's something else that's still true. All of us at that reunion had some forgiveness and reconciliation we had to do. Because, you know, all of us had hurts and betrayals and woundings in high school. It's hard. And for many of us, we grew up in that town. We grew up and our parents, you know, had lived there for a long time and continued to live there. There's a local cemetery and most of our parents are buried though, so there, so we always go and we visit. <laughs> we say hi to everybody and we have a toast. Uh, because it's home. And so we carry with us a lot of wounding, real and perceived. And we brought it to that reunion. And some of us are still in that place, and others of us have found a way to get past it. But we were imperfect, wonderfully made human beings in high school take all those experiences with us. And so I've been in that place of reflection about my childhood and my teenage years and how I was perceived and how I thought I was perceived and what I thought happened and what really happened and and what it meant. And so I bring that to the story of Joseph. But you know, In order to understand Joseph, we have to go back just a little bit to Jacob, at least at a high level. And they're an amazing family. They're not the brightest, I got to tell you. They were, uh, being duped was uh, a way of life for them. Because what happens first is uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, what did he do? He manipulated Esau into selling his birthright. And then he deceived his father Isaac into giving him the blessing that belonged to Esau. And then, of course, Jacob, he's got to flee because Esau's figured it out. And then Jacob has that amazing dream at Bethel. And he gets, then he gets tricked by Laban into marrying the wrong daughter. You know, I really want to talk to him about that. I want to say, you really didn't know? <laughs> you know, you loved her and you wanted to marry and you really didn't know it was the wrong daughter? But anyway... 
So he finally gets to marry Rachel. And then after time, Jacob and Esau finally see each other again. And they have some forgiveness and reconciliation. So that's the family of origin that Joseph is born into. So here we go into the story of Joseph. He's got ten older brothers, and none of them are particularly fond of him. And they kind of have a reason, i got to tell you. You know, Joseph was uh, uh, gifted. He had these dreams. But he was also his dad's favorite child, and everybody knew that. And he was a little lazy, maybe a little spoiled, didn't exactly pull his weight. And so the brothers really, he kind of irritated them. And so one day, not their best idea, they sell him to some traders that are along the road. And then they lie to their dad about what they did. Now, I don't know about you, I've never sold one of my siblings. <laughs> but I can't even count the number of things I've done that I then lied to my parents about. Just, it comes with the territory. You know, and then it gets more complicated because then I got to cover up what I cover it up. And, and so Joseph, we jump forward again, he ends up in Egypt as the governor, or really he's the secretary of agriculture is what he is in Egypt. And he's known for his dreams there and the, and the pharaoh, you know, keeps him close. And, and of course he's over all of the grain that's in Egypt and there's a horrible worldwide famine and everybody comes to Egypt to get the grain. And don't you know that all of Joseph's brothers come to, well, except for Benjamin, come to Egypt to get grain. And of course, Joseph recognizes all of them, but they don't recognize him. I, I, I get that to some degree it's kind of like a soap opera. You go, really? How could you, you know, how could the one know? But anyway. So then Joseph you know, participates in a fair amount of subterfuge because he's pretty bitter. And he arranges to kind of manipulate uh, Benjamin and gets him convicted of stealing something that he planted. And to make a long story short, they finally come back to uh, Israel, I mean to Egypt with all the brothers and, and, and... And there something happens. Judah, one of the brothers, says, you know, take me and and let Benjamin go home. I, I, I can't go back and tell my father that Benjamin is here. I, I can't do it. It would break his heart. I can't do it. And it was then that Joseph had a change of heart. And that's where we read and hear the scripture that Mary read today. He falls apart and he makes everybody leave because he doesn't want them to see how he's behaving. And he, and he tells his brothers, I'm Joseph. Now, he also has convinced himself that God's the one who sent him there, and it's not his brother's fault, 
and it's really turned out for good because he's going to be able to give them grain. And that may be true, but can I share with you, he's not exactly behaving like he believes that? Because he's still pretty much trying to get revenge, isn't he? He was trying to trick them, and he's trying to make sure they pay. And isn't that how complicated life gets for us when we are in between forgiveness and reconciliation? Both are true. But what does he say at the very end? You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. You know, and there's more to the story, but isn't this a powerful moment? He says, you know, Joseph. You know, one of the things that we say in the church, not every church, you know that saying that's been going around for a long time, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Can I share with you that makes me crazy? Because the answer to that is Jesus would always behave differently than me. Always. There's not a chance that I'm going to be able to live my life the way Jesus did. And I personally don't believe that God became incarnate in in Jesus in order for us to spend our lives imitating him. I think God became incarnate in Jesus to transform us, to redeem us, so that we become true, genuine, authentic people. Because that's what happened to Judah and Joseph finally, is they became true, authentic people. Because I think... There's a connection between the reality that Joseph finally said who he was after Judah became open and vulnerable and authentic. He said, please, take me. And for whatever reason, I think Joseph said, oh my gosh, I can't do this to them. I can't keep up this subterfuge. These are my brothers. I've got to find a way to get past this. I think we underestimate the power that we possess to participate in the transformation not only of ourselves, but of each other. John Robinson, who was the pastor to the pilgrims, he told his congregation in 1620, something I'm sure you're familiar with, he said, the Lord has more truth and light yet to break forth out of his holy word. I believe that. And maybe, just maybe, the truth and light that broke forth from Judah is just what Joseph needed. Because I don't think the question is, what would Jesus do? I think the question is, what would you do? What would we do? 
how do we let the power of God transform us and redeem us and change us so that we can find a way to forgive and a way to find reconciliation? I guess if I knew the answer, that book would be written. But I think it just takes time, effort, and intentionality. Goodness knows we're living in a world where we need an amazing amount of forgiveness. I think it has to begin here. I don't think it's possible to carry with you unresolved resentment, anger, frustration, bitterness against individuals, family, whomever, and at the same time be a force for good and say we must have peace on earth. I think the dissonance will crater us. So maybe the hope is that we begin here. We begin as individuals and we begin in our families to find that forgiveness and reconciliation. So then we can go out into the community and into the nation and into the world and be authentic and genuine and say we must love each other. So the message to me today, you may not need it, the message for me today is to finish my work. To finish being genuine and authentic. To finish whatever forgiveness and reconciliation I need to do. And to know that by the power of that, I can help change people's lives. One last story. You know, one of the things that has been central in my life for a long, long time is I have been involved in 12-step recovery for um, over 28 years. Well, actually, 28 years and three months and 19 days. <laughs> and, and so I go to meetings, and we're asked to share uh, about different things. And so I went to a meeting the other day, and the topic was, what is the one uh, character defect or shortcoming that gets in your way the most? And I thought that was just about one of the most hateful topics I had ever heard. <laughs> and, um, but I got called on. And so for some, whatever reason, I actually told the truth. <laughs> and I don't mean I lie ever, but, you know, I usually share the easy stuff, right? But this time I shared the Joseph stuff. And I talked about, but I'm not, by the way, not sharing it here. Um, um, <laughs> I talked about the one shortcoming or character defect that really has gotten in my way the most for me and my relationships and in life in general. So, you know, other people went on to share, and so the, not the next person, but the next person shared. Now, of course, I don't think it's a coincidence. This is someone I'm not particularly fond of. I'll just say that. Uh, and, I, and I have really good reason not to be fond of them. There's some work to do there, isn't there? <laughs> For whatever reason, what I shared gave them permission 
who shares something that was really incredible. And I could see the chains fall off of their heart as they spoke those words. Honest with them. That's where it has to begin. With each other. And then we can be a force in the world that cannot be stopped. I'm convinced of that. I want to close with um, a scripture from um, Galatians. It's, it's too long for a tattoo, but maybe a plaque. It's something that I need to be reminded of every day right now. It's Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Or you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And we find the courage to seek the forgiveness and reconciliation in our lives that we need so that we can be a force for transformation.